0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, recently I had a conversation with one of my buddies. He's kind of a a truck nut, a car nut, and he told me that Interstate Batteries makes, from a technical standpoint, some of the best car batteries on the market, period, hands down. Not only that, but they have thousands of retail locations all over the United States. So stop in to a local retail store ask the guy who works there about their car batteries and hell you might as well put one in if they're the best in the business so interstatebatteries.com is their website go there find out more information about the culture of the company the batteries that these guys carry or just stop into a a local retail store interstate batteries outrageously dependable
1: welcome to the land and legacy podcast We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number
2: one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Here we are, back, ready for another one. Dropping some knowledge bombs this week. That's
1: right. Um, Hopefully um i hope everyone likes it yeah um this is something oh man this is it seems like once a week we end up talking about some sort
2: of this and by the way we're back out on the back porch this is becoming a regular regular deal honestly it's nice because you got this massive oak tree throwing shade here and you know even with the west facing Back porch. It's nice in the evenings.
1: Yeah, it is. And really nice. and one thing I notice is it's almost 9 o'clock.
2: Yep. It's starting Re- to regular get... Regular podcast time.
1: It's starting to get darker earlier. Yes.
2: yes. Yep.
1: Which is like the first sign of... Dang. Fall so,
2: is... Fall's coming.
1: You, you mentioned the oak. You know, this thing is... I don't, I don't know how big that post that post oak is, but one of the other first signs I see where I'm like, ooh... Is when you I start looking in the yard when I'm mowing and there's brown leaves mm-hmm. that are just slowly filtering in.
2: When I see like the post oaks get that really really waxy coating to them, yeah, I'm like, ooh, they're getting ready for summer heat, and yeah. then that means fall's you know coming, and so they are 100% waxy right now and uh, protecting themselves to make it through what is left to come, and which we always talk about. You know Missouri, the the least favorite time is late July and early August because it's just gosh hot, humid, dry, no dry, and that's just it.
1: But dry soil, humid up top, it's worst case scenario.
2: <laughs> yes, it is. But this week's podcast topic, I'm pretty sure we haven't really done anything quite to this um degree of reading the land and, and it's in a different way we, we've talked about like what land means to us we've talked about how to manage the land appropriately but from the podcast title this thing is called what's the land telling us yeah and i think you know like i've always heard that phrase or you know if these walls could talk what would they say like all these buildings are you know, see so many different things and hold so many different, you know, memories and for, for people. But like, pff, imagine the land, imagine that tree could talk, imagine that, that stream could, could show you what it's seen. I think a lot of
1: land would say they would be screaming Help. at their owner saying, sell me and let somebody else try. <laughs> Cause you're yeah. killing me.
2: Yeah. Um, but, but essentially that's what the podcast is about. Like, how can we recognize through the landscape what it's trying to tell you, what it's trying to, like, what are the stressors? What are the indications that things aren't right, things aren't in balance? And I think that's going to be certainly a common theme as we move through it, that word of balance, because, there, you know, equilibrium. Was that another firework? That was. What, what day is it now? June 12th. July Oh yeah, July twelfth. We still got fireworks <laughs> going on, in <laughs> America. <laughs> um, but that that word equilibrium, because you know, just in, in the just general biology, that is such an important like uh, what's what's the other word? Uh, homeostasis. Everything just kind of works and fights to try and get back to a balance, and um, ecology is the same way. When you look at populations, they move up, down, all around, but they always settle right back in there. At an equilibrium,
1: but not too. And for example, not too many animals, but n- but there's enough like, animals like to be healthy. Not too many prey.
2: Not too many prey. You know, yeah. they're always they're always you know Try. moving back and forth within this like spectrum or or interval, and then they're going to settle back in, or they're going to average out right there at that equilibrium. And yeah, I, you know, when you when you start to piece it all together and and we've touched on all of these topics that we're going to hit on today. These are these are like the subtopics of the podcast, but I think that you will see them as we we talk about them in a different light that wow, okay. That makes sense. We're out of balance. Because yeah. because if I if I'm seeing this then 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 I know this is helping. I mean or this is happening. Um and it's a, it's a trickle down effect and I think that um it's, it's the way, and every region's a little bit different the way it expresses itself, but it's a, it's a cry for help, if you will. You know, like, everyone's probably got that friend, you know, who, like, they say these things, and you're like, gosh, is that not a cry for help or what, yeah. right? You're like, gosh, that must be miserable living in that household or <laughs> whatever. He makes the song. awkward
1: jokes. He's yeah. like, well, I'll just go home, and I'll just, I'll just spend the weekend by myself. Ha, ha, ha. And he's.
2: Hundred percent serious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we've all got that guy. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I swear he loves his wife, but yeah. um, there the land. If we're reading it appropriately, or or I shouldn't say reading it because it's it's obvious. It's when we're observing it appropriately and know what to look for. There are those signs out there. Yeah, and, and, I,
1: and basically what what the signs and what we're looking for, the way we manage is we just want to create a healthy landscape, and so if you uh, if you're looking at a landscape and it's like man, here's the signs that tells me this isn't a healthy landscape. This land is not healthy, and this is the reason why. Mm-hmm. And there's ma- or there's major there's more fireworks going off. Jeez. It's unbelievable. Um, There's another problem. Like, it may be, man, it just seems like we're having major issues, and and we'll get into them later. But um, all these are signs that the landscape's not healthy. Unhealthy landscape creates unhealthy plant communities, unhealthy animal populations, Um, unhealthy experiences for us. The list goes on and on. And if you don't manage the land as your foundation, then... You're really just... Everything, everything is essentially superficial. Yeah. You're, right? you're trying to build a house on a bad foundation or a bad footer, and mm-hmm. and a lot of people can jump into deer management, and they're like, oh, we're going to build a, an amazing roof. Well, it doesn't amount to anything because you didn't you're start at the ground.
2: Crumble. It's going to crumble. Yeah. Well, before we jump in, I, I reckon we ought to take a second to talk about First Light. Yeah. What pants were you wearing today? I don't know, that sound, that's a weird question, but what, what, was, what were they? Were they the guide... Light guide lights. Yeah. Yep. Man. Those things look comfy. i got the curriguette the pants yep. and then these are the shorts. And um man. I love these shorts. The other day I was riding and I um uh, I don't know, hit a bump or something, spilled something on them, and uh, like all the water just pulled up on these things. And I was like, Dang um. Not only are they semi Water We're resistant, much, yeah. They're, they're, like they're everything's just beating up. Like I didn't feel it through the skin, you know, to the skin at all. Like I like these things. And then we went, we went semi-wading in in the gascanade. Oh yesterday. yeah, you saw me roll mine up and you, button yeah, them. you rolled yeah. yours up and buttoned them. And I just took off my shoes and walked across. Those pants dried out like that. Mm. I mean, it was quick. Uh, we recorded a podcast yep. on the stream bank, which you'll hear in a couple of weeks. But yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I love those. I had the men's
1: guide lights on, which is their lightweight pant. Yeah, um, that has the ability, you know, roll them up, button them, so they're kind of like capri long shorts, capris, whatever you want to call them. So they're a lot cooler.
2: um, Early early season wear for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. So it's not like you want to go beating through the brush anyhow with the ticks and sugars that are out at that time of the year. uh, Yeah, (laughs) as we're rapidly approaching. You know. We're, we've got a.
1: We're using First Light for a lot of our consults yep. now. Wearing them for consulting and then of course hunting, and uh, man, it's just like if you guys have listened to two hundred and forty some podcasts that we put out, you know we don't promote a lot of product. Um, hopefully you say that about us. I don't feel like we do. But we are giving sponsor plugs and partner plugs in our podcast. And this is one of them that, as soon as we started using it from, from when we for, first started it, now every time we wear it, it's like we find a new Love little it. piece of equipment that's like, or article of clothing that really, really works or, or well for us. Or a feature
2: about uh, that, that yeah. particular piece of
1: clothing. So I'm excited for fall to try out some even more stuff. Absolutely. Me too. So check them out at firstlight.com. That's
2: F I R S T L I T E.com. Okay. So, what what is the land actually telling us? I think at first, before talk, we talk get a, it, go tell ahead. a
1: little bit about why this podcast came about. We've had a couple of listeners over the course of the last few months write in and are like, "I love your guys' podcast," and and but the one thing that I hate you for is you've taught me to look at land in a way that now I get irritated driving down the road. Yeah, Because I now look at pastures differently, or I look at
2: forests differently, or I look at an invasive species different. I am, I am proud to be able to say, not be the cause of the frustration, but be the cause of the knowledge that people are able to then gain about the landscape. It is difficult. Once you're educated to of a of a of a let's say brokenish type system, poor habitat, poor landscape quality, that you you can't unsee stuff, right? You just can't. Yep. But yeah, this this kind of is derived from that um, that stem of, hey, we're only as good as what our eyes can see. So so we we can hear about all this information of how to manage the landscape. Um, every week, listen to podcasts, videos, things like that, reading materials. But if we don't look at it right and read what the land is trying to tell us, we're only going to be so beneficial. Like we're only going to execute X amount of things <laughs> or make 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 an impact. You're going to get to a point where you just can't exceed because you're not looking at it right or evaluating the land working. With Mother Nature, not against it, so yeah, this is definitely going to probably have some light bulbs. I would say go off for people's heads of, oh, that's what I'm looking at, or that's what that means when I see mm-hmm. this. This is hmm, something is not right. Um, so I, I think uh, yeah, we'll we we'll, we'll probably open up some eyes. I would say this week, and I, I'm 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 happy to do it. Again, I don't want to be the the starting point uh, of stress and seeing all this stuff, but if we don't see it, we're not going to change it. So we can't just, like, wish it away. Yeah, We have to be cognizant of it and then then take that approach and and execute. So, you know, I think the first one point that needs to be made is observation and looking at what we called – Last week in the podcast, we talked about it in the real estate side of things. But I guess we'll just term it the forensics of it. What even happened here? Like how intimate are you when it comes to the knowledge of previous landowners and, and the way the property that you now manage? What happened on it before you got it? Yeah. Like like <clears throat> what was it yesterday? No. Yesterday, yes. Walking on a property, um, Central Missouri, We were walking through the timber, um, and it was a mixture of post oak, black oak, and cedar, essentially. That was just at 60, maybe 70 years old, somewhere in that ballpark, I'm going to guess. We walked across. Boom. There's a cattle pond, middle of the timber. Yeah. Hmm, Okay. Walked a little bit further, started going down a slope. Huh. Now that is a very... Like, clear-form terrace. I'm like, guys, you're standing in a field. What was a field? Yeah. This was a crop field. There were crops planted here. Yeah. Like, T- you, this is a terrace terrace. Dead giveaway. Dead and I, and giveaway. And I forget what
1: year the USDA or Soil and Water had this big push to, put ter- to start terraces. putting terraces mm-hmm. in. And, you know,
2: even here in the Ozarks, there were people with terraces. Yeah. Yeah. There there was crops on this place, and like I said, it was it was central Missouri. Um, but sure enough, right there in in the timber, that was once a crop field. Now is timber, 60, 70 years old, something like that. A mixture of of the species that you would assume would be growing back um, with that time frame. And it's like this is important to understand what what the management is, and when I look around and see. Maybe it's the health of the trees, the species, the composition, the density. Okay, that makes sense as to why now we're looking at what we're looking at. Yeah. Same thing could be said for, you know, um, let's just say a bottom land that got, um, that was cut and then planted and now has grown up in noxious weeds. And that was three, four years ago. But then, oh, let's just say Johnson grass. You had a flood yeah. three years ago. Boom. Now, all of a sudden, there's just Johnson grass. Well, what happened uh, previously makes a lot of sense as to, okay, now now what is that you're looking at? What is that going up your wall? It, it's not going up the wall. What, it's a, it's a it's spider. A spider. There's a spider that's been going up and down oh, while we've
1: been sitting wow, here talking. I okay. I'm and at. Uh, I pointed at him a couple times. We've got a spider that keeps going up and down and back up and... <laughs> And now all of a sudden something else he got hauled something. up to him. So. He sure did. He's going to snack on that for a while. You know, um, and th- and that's something that, like, you can look across that. That's kind of the enjoyment of, of, of standing, st- studying land history is kind of just understanding what was going on in the past. And so, like, your terrorist example, another example that you can find is walking through timber that's all about the same size, and then hitting like the crest of a hill, and all of a sudden, there's like a line of big trees.
2: Monster trees. And you're like,
1: oh, there was clearly something different between mm -hmm, these two. One was mm -hmm.
2: field, and at some point grew grew up. We see it all the time in real estate. Absolutely. All the time. All the time. And when you go back east, (coughs) because there's been so much exchange of hands and land, Oh yeah, whenever you're walking around property boundaries you're usually seeing giant white oak trees red oak trees um chestnut oaks they're everywhere some post oaks some some pines because those aren't being cut because they're right on the line so so they're 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 boundary line trees and they're huge very very clear indications of what may have occurred on either side of that property line at one point or another the other the other one is you're walking through the through the uh, the timber, and you just trip on fence. And you're like, what the heck? There, there's yeah. woven wire fence coming well, through. That, you see that fence. on my family farm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or you see rock fences. Uh-huh. Yep. Rock the fences. So when I was in Maine turkey hunting, this was years ago, seven years ago or so, we were just walking through early spring, and there was rock fences up through the northeast absolutely everywhere. It was incredible. You'd go... And the fields were smaller then, right? So so they cleared them, built the rock fence, and they're only farming the smaller sections based on time and equipment. And so you'd walk another 200 yards, boom, there's another fence. You'd walk another 300, boom, there's another fence. It was really cool to see, huh. but that landscape has just drastically changed. Yeah. yeah. But it's important, though, to be able to... Another big one is creek beds. Oh yeah, the way creek beds have changed. Creek beds have changed, both from flood,
1: from man-made or it's just sure. natural. Yep. Um, beaver
2: sign. Oh yeah, another really cool one. We'll go through the list and break them down. So, the it's important, let's just say, to be observational when you're out there. Use the forensic. Understand what all that stuff means in your given area. Um, but then that will lead you into for for. The, the first kind of subtopic invasive species (laughs) we talk about invasives all the time but what is the land trying to tell us when you have invasive species growing at a density that's alarming right here and there they happen right a lot of times when they start they start along um the roads, where, wherever human activity... Power lines. Yep. Where human activity is, is most consistent, right? Yeah. So, um, that's kind of the point of origin. Once you see them start to creep and take over elsewhere, that's when we have big issues. But But why are they like that? Like, why... What does it mean when we see them growing at a really high density? To you, what like what's an indication there? What what is that land trying to say to you, Adam? As you're walking, consulting a property, you get to 20 acre um, woodlot in Illinois, and it's just straight bush honeysuckle.
1: What's happened? You know, a lot of times when you when you find those areas, Illinois is a great example because that's pretty much you just described three quarters of. Illinois forest (laughs) is you have mature trees, and then you have just an an understory chocked full of autumn olive or bush honeysuckle. Pick your poison. And it typically is like this to to me indicates that this this forest has not been managed, it hasn't been thinned, it's been closed canopy, and you have a species like autumn olive or bush honeysuckle that can still thrive in full shade. And there hasn't been fire. And there's been almost no management because the fire, which you have these two species that aren't adapted, haven't evolved with fire. So there's been none um, because they are in such a a high density. And then if you had some openings or more sunlight, you would have more native species fighting back or at least somewhat
2: colonizing in the area. And, And I think that's a good point to look at. In a lot of places where you see also that heavy invasive species is what else may be out of whack if you're yeah. not getting that regeneration or that strength and that vitality coming back from the natives there, well, you might also be dealing with high deer densities. Oh yeah, or overgrazing or or lack of management from grazers like cattle being in woodlots. Yep, those are and, signs. And the, and the reason
1: for that is go with deer specifically deer are more just like uh i mentioned with the reason why the the non-natives can't handle fire the natives get browsed more by deer because they've evolved with those species so then it's a known food source so a young name your shrub name your young oak whatever gets browsed more heavily
2: absolutely and then
1: over time now there's that guy out there going, oh, false, false, I see him browsing autumn olive.
2: Yeah, yeah, because you lost now, your natives a couple years
1: ago yeah, in that wood. Twenty lawn. years ago, probably <laughs> not. But now they don't have a choice and they still so they have to browse it. Sure. Um, and so yeah, another great point of, of what you see is like and and I don't think it's ironic at all that the northern states that's that's a majority of the forest. The understory, that's why Michiganders, or however they call, we're Missourians. I guess they're Michiganders. Sure, that's why you hear people in Michigan and Wisconsin that that really speak highly of. I mean, every time I go to Michigan, it seems like I've got guys lined up wanting to talk about autumn olive, whether sure. it's good or bad, and and it's like, okay, where are the shrubs? It's, where are it's the been, native
2: shrubs? It's been normalized. Yeah, but but normalized doesn't mean that's what's natural. Or, yeah. or what the land is wanting and needing. And I think that's super important to drive this point home with native, with, with uh, non-native, excuse me, is that those plant species are here, but their pests aren't. Yeah. So, so what would be consuming them um, naturally in their own environment haven't made their way across the boat, right? Yeah. Or across the ocean on the boat. Just the plants come. Yep, And so now we're looking at a species that doesn't have very many predators, easily out-competing the natives because now the natives are being over-browsed by deer. It's a one-two punch, and and at the end of the day, the understory that we're seeing in that example doesn't have a prayer unless invasive species are removed. So so the land in that situation is telling us what? Reduce deer numbers, reduce the herbivores. Bring in more sunlight. More sunlight to feed the natives, yep. reintroduce fire because those natives are going to be adapted to fire and just cut and treat the invasives. Yep. If you find yourself in that situation or you're driving down the highway or you're on your buddy's property, that's a clear recommendation right there that you know what? You want to you want to improve the land, the land's telling you help me. Yeah. I'm not I'm not as healthy as diverse I'm not as as primed as I should be because of these situations that I'm facing right now or that are occurring on the soil.
1: Yeah, for every invasive that you tell me is good, I'll give you six more that are better.
2: No, six six natives that six are Six more natives. Yeah, yes.
1: six natives that are better. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Um, that, that one is, is one of those that just, and, and that's Autumala bush honeysuckle. You could go to another species, you could go to a, a forb and mm-hmm. be like, okay, this, this forb is, um, an invasive that's, what's it indicating? Uh, this, this pasture is... spotted knapweed? Got spotted napweed. Why is it thriving? Probably because if it is getting grazed... They're grazing the, the, the cool are, season grasses it. and the natives, and they're not touching the napweed. so you're pretty much, it's just like a garden for napweed. You're yeah. removing the competition and letting it thrive. Absolutely. And therefore, it doesn't take very long for it to
2: completely take over. You know, it's funny, and this is going to be another common occurrence throughout the, the podcast, and we talk about disturbance all the time. Yeah. Both of those scenarios when it comes to the invasive, whether it's the bush honeysuckle understory, spotted napweed, in the pastures, whatever. Eastern Nothing. red cedar in the pasture, even sure. though it's a native, yeah. it indicates the same thing. It just—it's it, another further example of like a lack of human management because cattle and deer, in their own way, are are shaping and managing that system. But but they don't. They don't have a brain to tell them when to stop and ease off the cool no. season grass. Their, you know, their hey, spot of is, is gonna survive, come in. survive. They don't know that. So yeah. it's the landowner this is why we always talk and talk and talk about responsibility of a landowner, it's the landowner's job to identify uh, first observe, then identify the problem, then address the problem. So if you have pastures that are growing up or if you have woodlots that are looking unhealthy it's time to do something about it. Yeah. That's that's the that's that's what the land is telling you, saying, Hey, help me out here. It's like throwing a life raft over there. <laughs> yeah. Help me
1: out, man. And we don't manage you shouldn't come into land management with the idea that you're gonna sit on a throne like God and send lightning bolts down and strike down whatever you don't want and kill. Oh, coyote lightning strike, you're dead, no longer. It's more like it's more like herding cats or sheep. You just kind of send them in a direction and and kind of keep them moving in that direction, but you can't really just intervene and get them marching
2: in rows or two. Yeah. No, and, and, and it's, it's a good thing that we don't have to play God because he already did it. Like, he did it yeah. right. We just have to return the system that is out of balance back to balance, and when it's in balance— it takes care of itself. Yeah. Like, we, we we're our own worst enemy most times when it comes sure. to land management. The the parameters in which nature will will I say this is kinda of funny, but naturally work, it's a pretty wide parameter. But once you're outside of it, it's like I can't get back to it. So it needs that interaction to be able to move it back into the right parameters and then from there it'll run its course if we're doing our job. It's not rocket science, honestly, to be able to say, oh, shoot, this looks like it's out of whack. I, I need to do something about it. And then when you do something about it, hey, what do you know? It's improved. We're, we're, we're back on track. So another one, another kind of subtopic of this, erosion. Oh. This is one that doesn't get near enough attention. If this is not like an outright scream that the land is, is saying, help me, please. Yeah. Then we're blind as a bat. And we usually are. Yes.
1: Erosion is a horrific problem. Almost anywhere. You can go to so many. You can go to crop farms and find erosion problems. Yeah. You could go to cattle farms and find erosion problems. You could go to turf farms and find erosion. (laughs) You can go to almost anywhere and probably find some erosion problems. Some way worse than others. Sure yeah but they tell us so much and a lot of here's areas. one where you won't find a lot of erosion problems. Native prairies, that's right. That's right. Native savannas, woodlands that are managed correctly. Oh, what did I just list? Native landscapes.
2: yeah, well, in and, and not every portion of the country is here's as one for you. beaver ponds. Yeah, there's very little <laughs> erosion there. Very, very little. Ironic, erosion. right? We'll we'll get into that. But there's there's certain portions of the country that are at a much higher risk. Obviously, those who are exposing dirt, so ag country, um, commonly uh, that 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 happens all the time. And the soil components that that make up, you know, your given area oh, again yeah. may be at a certain higher risk. But I think it's it's to me it's not it's not ironic that some of the most precious soils that are out there. So when I say that, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at places like Iowa, North Missouri, Illinois, um, parts of Nebraska, South Dakota, um, parts of the Mississippi, Kansas. Some of those areas that have the most erodible soils also had the best protection from a native tall grass prairie that protected majority of those areas. Yep, that protected them. Why did it work like that? Well, because again, it was created right in the first place, but but if we want to manage it, we have to realize that we're we're taking or we've removed the the armor on the soil that was so dang good. Now we've exposed this precious thing that is fragile. And it's washing down the Mississippi every single year. Now, there's a lot of it. Don't get me wrong. And thank goodness there because is. Cause we got a lot of people to feed, which I get. But if you're commonly seeing the erosion, I should I should say erosion obviously is, is, is by water moving there, but there also is wind erosion. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people don't think about that. Yep. because, But at the same time, everyone can look at people or farmers if they're disking and it's dry, how Ugh. much soil is actually airborne. There's wind erosion as well. So so again, that armor on the soil is super super important. Yep. But we have to just and I'm not I'm not sitting here saying that the soil in all those areas, we shouldn't plant crops. No, no, no. We just need to do it in a way that's responsible because when we see trenches and we see Land levelers and grading in ag fields every spring or and late winter and to yes. fix what's happened—that's a sign of I should I should protect this better. This is a high commodity. That you want to talk about a foundation? The fields and the soil that the farmers are f- farming every single year is the foundation for their income. Yep, <laughs> let's protect it. Protect your investment. I mean, you're you're only as good as that soil can produce, and if you're losing it every single year, man, we ought to do something about that. It's not sustainable. You know, it may not be your
1: your lifetime; it may be your grandkids' lifetime to where that soil is no longer productive. Yeah. And if you let it just continue to wash away, blow away, then at some point the pot the 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 money runs out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the pot runs dry. And, you know, that's not just crop farming, though. You have massive erosion problems with cattle farming. Oh, 100%. Like those same places you listed. We, we work all the time in southern Iowa mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and west Iowa. And what do you see? You can see a cool season grass, probably smooth brome, with a, not much of a root system, be there forever. And you can walk to those ditches, and those ditches are 10-foot cliffs.
2: So, so a couple of things on that. Again, we're not saying take all the cattle off the land. Absolutely. Bison, we're here, right? By now, they've listened, hopefully listen yeah.
1: to podcasts and know we love cows.
2: But what we're saying is... The right management. Bingo. Do you see that same type of erosion on farms that are responsibly grazed? When I say responsibly grazed, likely rotationally grazed where they're leaving residue and yep. they're not stressing out that plant where that plant has to reduce its root system and does not have much vegetation on top to break up water droplets yep. and infiltrate into the, the water, into the root system. If you have overgrazing, you have erosion. Yep. If you rotate and you manage the cows appropriately, appropriately and use them as a tool and, if you will, respect the grass and what it does to infiltrate water, you probably don't have erosion. You probably has minimized that a lot on yep. your property. Yep. We've seen great farms in Southern Iowa. It's like, oh, man, that farm's doing good. And you drive past some, and you're like, wow, they're grazing that thing into the dirt. And there goes the dirt.
1: Yep. Their ditches are very steep. <laughs> Dangerous. And, and and every year you see those ditches get wider, 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 yep. longer, longer, longer. And eventually you're like, well, before long it'll look a lot like canyon lands out west there, where there's you see those almost... Straight up and down chimney columns. Yeah.
2: You're like, there's some cow who's going to break his neck going down there one of these days. Yeah.
1: It's going to happen. It's, they're going to get ice, and they're all going to slide in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a bad deal. I mean, it we've, we've seen places where the the overgrazing is so bad. And, and So you could take a hillside that has pretty good grass. It gets grazed occasionally a couple times a year to then all of a sudden they decide to stockpile on it or... Yep. Stock. Stay on it. So
2: stockpile fescue. Explain the, the, what that well, means for a second. So, so basically,
1: I guess I shouldn't say stockpile. So they 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 don't graze it for months and months and months, and they just let the grass grow and grass grow and grass yeah. grow. They're just stockpiling their 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 forage. Um, so they did. They, they 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 typically were doing that. It was a winter lot, so they would, you know, let it grow all summer long. There was lots of vegetation, and then they would throw the cows on it during the winter. All great. Grounds frozen, erosion in the huge issue anyway, but they weren't grazing in the dirt. To then where they turned it into almost a year-round pasture mm-hmm. to where, I mean, it looks like lawnmower went went over it a lot of times of the year. The number
2: of mouths, the number of hooves increase. So and no vegetation. vegetation. So yeah.
1: instead of water falling on that slope and breaking down or being one droplet turns into 10 droplets, which then eventually goes into the soil at a much slower rate therefore water infiltrates into the hillside now when it's overgrazed the water goes straight to the dirt splatters and then you've got all those rain droplets that then just start heading downhill and when they head downhill it's just like a a little bit of water turns into a uh, to, a little bit more water
2: turns into a big stream and whoosh I think everyone everyone knows or has probably experienced the force of water, and I think hopefully this illustration will do it justice. But everyone, when they see or hear that term or phrase "force of water," they always think of rushing waters, like "Oh, should I cross that bridge or should I not?" Like, (laughs) how dumb is this? Like, turn around, turn around, don't drown. Right. So it's like. Okay, that force of water, we've all seen the videos too. But let's backtrack for a second. There's Buff- spiders going back up. <laughs>
1: He's already caught two bugs. Dang, anyway. good for him.
2: Um, predator. <laughs> That's the next podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready for that one. <laughs> so. Let's backtrack. Before that water gets to the stream, it's ran down a hillside. Before it ran down a hillside, it fell from however high and, and landed. The force of water landing on a slope has done something. I mean, it's causing soil disruption. The little tiny, tiny particles that the soil, if it's hitting bare dirt, it is basically displacing those particles. I know we're getting to like... like People are probably like, "Gosh, guys, I get it." Water It'll be over
1: soon. We'll be on to the next topic.
2: <laughs> but all of that adds up. Yeah. The same force of water that you're seeing in the creek that you don't want to cross because it's not safe just fell. Yeah. On, on some slope on some hillside, and it's now down at the bottom where it's just collected. But there is still a lot of force from when that rain falls, so you have to be mindful of that in an area where you have highly erodible soils. We and the land is telling you that I need something else on me to protect me because you're yep. losing your foundation, and you're that t- doesn't even have to be though.
1: Southern Iowa, no, like we see that in the Ozarks.
2: Oh, sure, we and do. we're
1: nothing but rocks. Yes, and it's yes. just like that's some of the worst is hard to wash rock. <laughs> yeah, when you get in, <laughs> but it happens. It does happen. Yes, and it's just it's the. It's the toilet flush effect. Mm-hmm. Whoosh! Water just rages through, and everything moves. Yep. If it's not tied down and and has a deep root, it's getting washed away. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so we see that a lot. Like erosion, really can indicate a lot of bad things. It can indicate overgrazing. It can indicate tillage, just too much disturbance.
2: I'll say this: most likely, root system depth. Yep. A- and and density of vegetation on the landscape is less than what it should be. Yep. If you're experiencing a lot of erosion, that's one thing. Okay, how do I fix this? Well, yep. let's first start and try and improve the root structure or the density of the vegetation that is growing in the areas that are highly erodible. One or, of the things that gets me, real quick, Waterways we see them and it's been an NRCS program to to introduce waterways so there's a permanent root system growing in the waterways right
1: yeah 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 in crop country in crop
2: country a lot of people see that i don't under like cool season grasses the mat forming grasses you ever see water run down those that grass just lays flat and it just rushes it's yeah. like there's 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 no We call it a grass waterway, but what happens if there were some shrubs? What happens if there were some bunch grass? What happens if there were some deep-rooted grasses that had more mass to them that displaced, slowed the water down, instead of it just rushing fast down and then into the stream, getting it off those fields? What if we just let it settle? What if we just caught it and captured it?
1: Yeah, you would think. I'm not saying the government does many good things. The the idea was good. Sure it was but good. But the execution was bad.
2: I think it can be Cuz a lot of times they are smooth brome. Let us say we we can improve the, the the waterway situation by diversifying what's growing in the waterway. Mhm. And it's Absolutely. a trickle. And, and what's what's the phrase? We all live downstream? Yeah. Right. Think about that for a second. We all live downstream. Those poor those poor folks down in Louisiana, Mississippi, they get all they get all the, the mess from up north. <laughs> no doubt. I mean. <laughs> Woo, yeah. That poor Gulf of Mexico.
1: Yeah. For sure. And I think uh, just erosion in general is one of those that, like, I think we experience it on over 75% of the farms that we go to. Like, I was working a farm just a few months ago where the guy doesn't have many crop fields at all. He's mostly timber. Mm-hmm. Um and he's got perimeter roads or one in particular was a perimeter road that kinda had a a little a little up and down. Yeah. But the little downward down kinda going in between knolls, uh you could see this ditch and he's like, I bet it's I bet it's creeped up close to the road by ten yards in oh, the wow. last year. But you look to the right and it's bare ground crop field Mm -hmm. got harvested and it set all winter long without cover crops Mm -hmm. so every little bit of rainfall that fell on that just washed right down and there's just too much power and it just sits there and just eats that bank right right and it's like well eventually i mean even a tin horn like we're not solving this problem with tin horn we're solving this problem by getting out in that field with cover crops or getting out in that field with cover crops and buffer strips and slowing that water down out there. We're yeah. not fixing it right here.
2: Right, right, right. It's mm. like
1: a massive gash with a Band-Aid on it. Like yeah, yeah. We can try to keep the bleeding down, but we if we really want to take care of it, we have to get to the root of the problem.
2: That's it. That's funny. The root of the problem. It's ironic. Yeah, with a root, right? Next topic. Another firework for you. Soil health. Yes. Everyone's taking, like... Soil samples before, right? Yep. What does a soil sample tell you? The nutrients in the soil. Or nutrient availability in the soil,
1: the pH, um, organic matter, cation exchange. It gives
2: you a sample of what the general health function of the soil is, right? Or what it can, can't do, what needs to be improved, what doesn't need to be improved, what should be addressed. Typically tells us
1: all how bad it is.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, a lot it's of bad, other- but it's not real bad. It's not but, as bad as it was last year. <laughs> but the cool thing is that there is an indicator for overall. Like we can clearly see what the land is trying to tell us with soil health yeah. by taking soil samples. You know, invasive species, erosion, the other topics we're going to get into. They're not going to be quite that same. Like, okay, this is a clear indicator. We got we got an issue, but I wanted the take, soil health one. Yes, yeah. But I want to take a second to say, just because there's not like this sample that you can take, you send into a lab, they send it back, and here's where you're at, doesn't mean that the others don't have validity, and that you shouldn't be paying just as much attention to them because obs- observing those stressors in the environment should tell you what to do, just yeah. like the soil sample should do the same for you too. So, right, soil health is super important. We're seeing massive movements in, in soil health, uh, regenerative agriculture, trying to bring back um, functionality of the soil, protection of the soil, um, improvement to better ourselves, better the food that we eat, better the animals, better the environment, all these different things. I think everyone is, is very well aware of that movement, probably if they're listening to this podcast, but what are some of the stressors that we see, or the indications from a soil sample, or other just, maybe it's just vegetation of plants that we're seeing. What, yeah. are, what are some of those things that we see where we're like, ooh, probably should, should look into this soil here?
1: Yeah. Something's not some right. Some of the common ones we see is, and they're not all true, like completely true. Yeah. There's a little truth to them, like... Broom said, sure in the Ozarks, people yeah. say is an indicator of acidic soil yeah. and that you need to lime your field. Well, yeah, there is kind of a correlation. There but can it be co- a correlation. But it yeah. could also mean that um, there's been overgrazing during spring the spring and, and early, summer. Spring and early summer. And then you, yep. so you, you release a, you release or kill, uh, oh pr- you stress the, co- competition for the broom sedge and then just let it go crazy late summer
2: yeah once you finally say oh gosh there's not much grass left there you pull yeah. the cows out and what what grows or, broom sedge. or at the
1: same time you graze in through the summer and you have a cool season pasture and so the cool season grasses go dormant and then that broom sedge being a warm season just goes nuts yeah and you do that for a couple of years and you're creating the perfect growing conditions for broom sedge mm-hmm. and so it could be acidic soil you need to add some lime or it could just be that your management is off right and that you're managing to promote broom sedge and you don't even know it
2: correct correct um, correct
1: 100 another common one that you see in the food plot world maybe um you can't grow turnips you don't know why you're not mm-hmm. you you plant turnips you're not growing and it could be that uh, you're lacking some of the essential nutrients that's that's crucial for for uh for turnips Yep. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about it in, in our research and stuff we've done, but like uh, boron being important and, and some of our food plots where we struggled to grow turnips the last few years, doing soil tests, there's not much boron. Yeah. And being important uh, an important nutrient for brassicas, it makes sense. Or it's just uh, a drainage problem. Yeah.
2: Um. There's so, so, a, so many indicators, soil yeah. moisture. When, when you look at the clover food plots, another food plot example. Yep. Guy says, "Hey, I've got this clover food plot. I've had it for about f- four, four years. Four, four, four years, and I yeah. cannot keep weeds out of it. Yeah. Well, is that a is that a poor function of the the soil, or is that just a function of your lack of management of the clover, your lack and, of diversity? Yeah, and and understanding of what that clover is being legume, fixating nitrogen, adding it to the soil." Maybe you have a high deer density too and they're grazing into the dirt and or, and, or you're not protecting or shading out that clover during the summer, the, the yep. stressful times, or you don't have that diversity into that system. We see this agronomists, or, or, or uh, um, for, for farmers in ag fields, they go out and they're pulling leaf samples. They're looking at um, plant structure. They're looking at all these different stressors and signs of individual plants, corn, soybeans, wheat, cotton, all these different things to then dictate, say, okay, we're off on something. We yep. need to make this adjustment. Um, mayb- maybe, maybe the the um, it's zinc for the corn this year. So you yeah. go and you put just zinc down. Maybe, maybe it is you know these micronutrients, and that plant shows the stress of that. Um, now, now I need to go and adjust it. Yeah, it's no different. But but the but the what I guess I say what grows or what does not grow should tell you something.
1: Yep. Or and so on that note, like you you see a whole field of mare's tail, mm-hmm. and you're like, ah, it's taken over. It's my pot. Yeah. What 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 does that tell us? What well, tells us there was a disturbance? Yeah, we for had sure. bare ground and nature's covering it because yeah. it's a warm season annual and it follows disturbance. Poke weed, uh, a, a lot common of common ragweed, common ragweed, poke weed, mare's tail, pigweed. Fireweed burn or burnweed, burn yep. yep. whatever you want to call it, um, like typically you see those in in disturbed sites in forest, and you're uh. like, I've never seen this stuff before. Where is it? At? Well, you had a disturbance, there was bare ground, and nature tried to cover.
2: Yep, yep. that's it. So so if you're if you have food plots, and <laughs> you're <laughs> you have all those weeds, and you planted a monoculture of beans. And they're getting That's One, that's what's going to happen, number one. Number two, what else is the sign? Hey, maybe there's not enough area devoted to that. Or number two, which is the most likely, two and three is the most likely occurrence. You have too many mouths. Yeah. And number three, you don't have enough food elsewhere on the property to combat... Or balance out, ooh, there's that other word, balance back out the browsing pressure on the food plots versus the native vegetation. And I know we have done it. We have talked relentlessly in the summer and probably (sighs) next week will with some additional uh, podcasts that will be happening. But native vegetation fares far better in heat and in dry times than At a food non-native plot food plot varieties,
1: yeah, especially soybeans. Without a
2: doubt, because let's be honest, soybeans. There's no
1: argument. Soybeans are not the. They're not really the John Wayne of plants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're pretty weak. Yeah. They're not the most fierce plant out there. No, I feel like, you know, common ragweed's pretty fierce. Oh, I think yeah. I think common ragweed's the one that don't take nothing off nobody. No, you. I'm growing. <laughs> yeah. Move back off. Get out my way. Yeah. I'm yeah. here. He's kind of a drifter too. He's there and then he's gone. And you're like, oh, Where'd oh, where would oh, he go? Oh, and his cousin, giant ragweed down that bottom <laughs> lane. He's just as mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you got you got soybeans that are like, oh, yeah, eat me. Oh it's hot. Oh it's cold. Oh it's too wet. Oh it's too hot uh too dry. Yep. Oh there's too many deer. Here's five pods for the winter. <laughs> <Yeah>. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, there's just so many with, with plants, uh sedges. Yeah. I mean, what's that tell us? Like when people are like, Why what's all this what's all this grass that's growing? It's got this little spiky ball on it. Why does it keep growing
2: my clover plot? Number one not a grass. That's <laughs> well, not a grass. <laughs> Number two. Sedges
1: have edges. Number two. It's probably wet. It's probably too doggone wet. It's, yep. it's a drainage issue. And it tells us, by looking at the land, that there's too much water that either is sitting here on the surface or just below the surface. And that's the plant that has adapted over time to grow with wet feet. Yes. And nature's not going to let it just sit here bare ground. No. it's gonna have something that's adapted to it, and therefore sedges or rushes um, and voila, there it is yep and man, just understanding how to read the landscape and and know, oh, okay, you know I have a I have a drainage issue. that's what I have here. Let maybe address... I should not try to plant this or maybe I should figure out how to fix the drainage issue yeah. if that's a possibility. Maybe and the
2: easiest solution is this wasn't the best crop for that area. Yeah. This wasn't the best variety. A lot of times it, it's you you put uh, you know a, a cool season blend like like uh, a clover blend in a in a low line shaded area because like oh yeah it handles cool it likes the cool it likes this it likes that well you just put it into an area that does. Really, really well for sedges, too. Keep that yeah. in mind. Know that that's going to be an issue. Uh-huh. Know that you're going to combat with that right out of the gate. Because maybe. Peop- you, the, one of the most common
1: questions, chalk it up for land management, probably one of the most common questions in the history of deer slash land management is, what's the best food plot to grow? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> know your like, site. Okay, follow-up question. What's the site? Well, it's kind of wet. It's kind of shaded, and almost anyone will tell my, you my clover's favorite. probably the best option. My favorite is,
2: eh, it's about a tenth of an of an acre. Doesn't get much sunlight in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh crap! Uh, well, 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 let's get some sunlight in there, yeah. sir.
1: <laughs> let's stop wasting our time. Yep.
2: Yeah. So I think that covers soil health pretty good. Yeah. What about timber health. Oh. Uh, Forestry health, timber health, tree health. Hug hug them all, but you're hugging a lot of dead, dying trees. I think this one
1: just screams in silence. It's just like, when you look at a forest, there's so much that you can learn about where it's been, where it's coming from, and, and what it needs to improve on.
2: The signs when it comes to trees are so evident, yeah, so visual. Whether you're looking at tree shape, tree structure, limb structure, (laughs) dead limbs versus alive limbs, density, rings of the trees, everything. You can look at and be like, well, that's a sign, that's a sign, that's a sign. And the
1: reason why trees are so much easier is because... It's easy, as I look over my right shoulder at this big, giant post oak, to know that that one's been here a while. He didn't grow in the last 30 years. No. But when you look at, like, big blue stem growing in a field, it's a little bit harder to go, well, how long has that been here? Right. Let me do and, a core
2: sample on that there.
1: Yeah. A little blue. Let's Not count happening. its rings. Let's <laughs> count its blades. You can't do it. And... You know, you can look at the crown of a of a clump of big blue stem, but you still can't get as accurate as looking at a big yeah. tree, um, doing a core sample and and going, okay, yeah, I, I have a pretty good idea that that tree didn't grow in the last 20 years. Yeah, and so when you look at a forest, there's so much to learn. There's so much that we can observe, and I and I hope we can encourage our deer hunting friends who aren't that into it to just start to try to um, have that willingness to learn that, that, uh, interest to learn, um, to make it a better place. Yeah, for sure. And so when you like, you could walk into a forest and see, let's just, some of my favorite examples or most common examples are roll into the forest and see just dotted out across the landscape, massive oak trees that, that have a, they have limbs at the base that were reaching out horizontal to the ground, and it's just like a half circle going all the yeah. way to the sky. Yeah. Um, and you're just like, man, that tree at one point in its life was somebody. But all the lower limbs are, are dying. And people will tell you, oh, my, my, my big oaks are they're dying. The lower limbs are just dying. Well, it's probably because it's now self-pruning because – there's too much other stuff growing around it. It has to focus on growing up now,
2: not up and out. It would be foolish for the tree to to send nutrients and energy to an area that was that received zero sunlight. It's not going to do that. So that's yeah. why it's sacrificing those limbs. Yeah, and it's struggling. And and here's one of the things that I think a lot of people don't don't think about when they're looking at trees. But think about this for a second. If there is a lot of competition above the soil, so like in the canopy, if you can see stress, you can see the sacrificing of limbs, you can see canopies or limbs reaching out for just a little bit of sunlight, this and that, Yeah. imagine oh. what's happening under the soil. Imagine oh, that kind of competition. Yeah, how it's crowded not, is down there. Yeah, how or crowded is that? If you
1: want, if for our deer hunter friends here, for our deer friends here, um, if you want to find out and you're wanting to put in one of your <laughs> water tanks or a swimming pool sure. just take a shovel out there and start digging. Yeah. Tell me how much fun and do it without a pick cuz you're going to yeah. run into no lots picks. of roots.
2: No picks and a dull blade.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a, square <laughs> <Yeah>. a square <laughs> <headed> shovel. A square-headed shovel. You got to go dig a pool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're going to run into all kinds of roots. And you're going to be so mad. And now you just picture the fact
2: that whoa, there's a there's not much room down there. Not much room, so that that's one indication of okay. And, and then the bark itself too—you can always see stressors of bark and this and that. And there's there's things like and well, and then you go
1: into maybe you're going to it, but this is a hot topic. You don't see any three foot and smaller next generation trees. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. just like, where's all the young
2: oaks? Like they're not here. Yeah, they're just. They're not here. Why aren't they here? Why do I have what does this indicate? Even age stuff here. No understory, or is why is all my midstory either black gum, red bud, or dogwood Maple. or maples? Where yeah. is all the or other sweet oaks? Gum. Why can't I just regenerate the the stuff yeah. that I want?
1: Where's all the egg that the young ones coming from that oak? Well, yeah.
2: there's plenty of seeds laying here. Let's let's do this again. Yeah. Lots of seeds fall, right? Yeah. I've got competition from squirrels, competition from deer, turkeys bears, turkeys, all these things that are consuming them. And don't get me wrong, there's years where there's ample, overabundant. Yeah. And there's some there's excuse me, where there's less. But regardless, there's a lot of things that are eating them. Yeah. But what also happens? is when you look back at history and say, well, there was also fire on that landscape. Yeah. So, so maybe the species that are growing there, such as the red maple, the red bud, they're not going to handle fire as well. So if I reintroduce fire, or, or maybe it's so far gone that I need to cut those yeah. things, get sunlight back in there, and burn, those oaks will pop. They're there. There's a seed source there. They just need the right environment to be able to grow. We're se- we, we just did a video on this. <laughs> yeah. You'll see, It'll guys, release you'll, sometime you'll see that soon. Yeah, But but the the environment is not even productive or, or ready good enough for these oaks to be able to produce. You have to go in and do work just to be able to get some regeneration out of these things. That's a sign. If you're not seeing oak regeneration hello we gotta wake up if that's your if that's your overstory canopy tree that's a sign that the future is not looking bright and that's where fire really came in
1: historically to be really effective at maintaining
0: Oak semi-open can yeah.
1: semi-open canopies that still stimulated new growth mm-hmm. so the mm-hmm. fire sometimes would get too intense they would thin out trees or they would find trees that had a a uh, some sort of Effect um, or defect um, to where you know maybe it was a, a small little hole from an insect and and it started becoming hollow at that portion yep. to where then that hollow portion carries uh, is more flammable so a fire rips up through there and all down. of a sudden it yep. turns into a snag and it kills that tree well the death of that tree brought life for the next generation yep. and so all of a sudden you get this flush of of young of
2: young oaks growing there because they were stimulated with the fire and the sunlight. But isn't it amazing how fire brings life to a system? Death brings life. Absolutely, death. You know, fire is fire, just as big as important, or just as as important as life is. Yeah, you can't it, have you can't have one
1: without the other. And and a lot of times that the death opens up the opportunity for something yes. else, for Absolutely. life of something else. Another another sign I that the forest... I don't, go ahead. Before we do that, I, I, I want people to really understand that and really think about that. Because we forget that all uh-huh. too often, uh-huh. that things have to die for other things to grow. Yeah. And especially in, in landscapes, that, yes, we get connected to trees and Plants and things, but if we forget the fact that some things have to die, like deer, for some reason we all want to think that we don't want to lose, lose a single deer on our farm. It's like, oh, I lost a fawn. Oh, I can't believe it. I got to shoot more predators. Oh, I lost a buck. Predators killed him. Son huh. of a gun. That's nature. We cannot forget the fact that, just as much as we love deer, they're not that the land doesn't love deer more than they love predators, or
2: or or they don't, they don't, they're not born, or they don't die all by the hand of man. No, they die by natural causes. The world's—I mean, I shouldn't say the world—the natural world is is an ugly place. Right or wrong, it can be a beautiful thing. And it could be a, a gruesome thing, but it's real. But nature happens. Goes on. Yeah, a hundred percent. That that goes back to the principle of ecology. It, you're just managing and trying to find again the balance in the system. And I know we're going to get to this, but roughly every age class of deer on a given basis, outside of hunting, 15 percent or so of an age class dies. Yeah, that just happens. I, I mean, it just, it just it's. Whatever circumstances, whatever it is that was the cause, death happens, but so does life. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a beautiful thing. At, At 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 its worst times, man, that means good times are coming. Yeah. So we can apply that to lots of different things in life, but just in management though as well. You know, like let's let's put it into even more like of a trophy deer management situation. How many people are talking about bully bucks, right? You kill a bully buck. The hope is, right, or the anticipation, the thought is, that if I kill that deer, I'm making room for other ones. Well, That's you just right. You just proved our point. Thank you very much. That's all yeah. we're saying. I'm trying to shoot all these does so my other deer can express themselves. Mm-hmm. Ooh, hello. Yeah. That's what we're saying. Absolutely. just applying it to oaks in this in this specific instance but another another thing in, in forestry that we see it a bunch especially in in I would say the east where there has just been logging operation after logging operation disturbance after disturbance lack of fire lack of fire lack of fire manipulation of the soils what we're seeing <laughs> random stinking tree species growing in places that they should not be i'm thinking of like sycamores on ridgetops where there's no water oh yeah. just random stuff that you're like what how is this growing here maybe it was from you got c- seed got carried by a brush hog maybe maybe it was a skitter maybe autumn, it was olive, f- autumn olive growing on a glade yeah just this weird 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 things and like know your tree species know where they should be where they shouldn't be and if they're not where they should be well then yeah you're the one to kill it you're the one to cut it down you're the one to make room for what should be there but we see that a lot tree species growing in areas and and they shouldn't be where i mean it's just just a completely wrong site yes and yes. as much as we love walnuts, they have no business on a glade. They have no business being there, growing, and doing what they're doing. So, you know, it, it's, it is basically you have a role, and if you're out of role, you're gone. You need to be managed in, in an appropriate manner so that, again, going back to the balance, if, if you're not where you should be, that means that something else isn't... They are in its place, so so if you've got that walnut growing on the glade, well then we don't have little blue, we don't have pollinators, we don't have a smoke tree, we don't have all these other cool things that should be on a glade, growing. Yeah. So so we gotta fix that. These are the signs. Get back in your place. That's it. Yeah. It's totally it. Yeah. There's just so much. Another quick one, and we, I know we talk about this a lot. And Kyle and Frank do a fantastic job. Um, we had Mike Chamberlain on earlier, and we mm. discussed thoroughly, mm. um, you know, just decreases in, in general populations. And, and I don't mean decreases in populations from a from a natural standpoint, like we've been talking about and referencing that that equilibrium of yeah you know, populations rising and falling, rising and falling. But we're talking about steady declining. Yeah, that is the land saying, I'm not efficient. Yeah enough to support this species. I yep. can't do it in my current manner. So if I'm if, if if we're experiencing a decline of species then we need to we need to change the landscape. We need to yeah. improve it to be able to then bring those species back. Yeah. Yeah. Um everyone can relate to that. Everyone can yeah. see that. I, there's could a story be, everyone can you know. know you guys in the to. north where
1: it's like, man, the deer just numbers aren't near, nearly as good. Where's your young forest? Where's your shrubs? Where's your winter forage that deer can survive on? Because you're losing 50% of your deer over in, in the last three years. You've lost 50% of your deer during the winter. And you have way too many deer because you had mild winters for the five years before. So deer were really being able to, the population was... Having the ability mm-hmm. to grow, but then you don't have any food, and the and the land says we don't have any food because nobody's managing our forests. They keep putting out our wildfires, which is trying to kill trees so we can have more young forests. Yeah, and we just don't have a way to feed them. So therefore, some of them have to die.
2: I went to uh, Smokies this summer for a week. We we're in the park, Smoky know. Mountains. He's yeah. talking Smoky Mountains. We we're in the park for. I don't know, a couple hours and a few days. Obviously, the fire's there pretty pretty substantial a couple years ago. Oh, you're around Gatlinburg, yeah. Pretty, pretty substantial. Um, Come on, tell me how it looked. When I look back now, it's like, goodness gracious. There's so much growth and understory development, young forests, shrub communities. With death comes life. And we're not saying that obviously at the expense of businesses and homes and, and yeah. lives and everything. But but that was an event that did kill trees. I mean there I mean there were trees that were just smoked. You're like, whoo, that that hillside got hot. Yep. Yeah. You could see see you know, if you could see off in the distance in a couple areas, you could see you know, okay, that was a spot. You know, that that you know, flames embers dropped over them that hillside and then that back slope didn't burn or didn't mm-hmm. burn that intensity, whatever. Yeah. Um, but you're like, yeah, there. Wow. We've got pockets of high intensity heat, kill yeah. trees. We, now we've got all this diversity. So, um, the understory, fantastic, fantastic. So anyhow, mm-hmm. catastrophic, ca- catastrophic events. I feel like though, <laughs> are the signs of, like 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 the blinking red light in your face of of an unbalanced system something mm-hmm. is so out of whack that something comes in wham and has to like reset the system because things are so out of balance and i think that this is very hard for people probably to i would say get on board with and and i don't it's, it, let's just say it's not a well-adopted theory. But things like EHD. Oh. What about emerald ash borer? I'm thinking mm-hmm. like, and that now that's an invasive bug that comes in and kills trees, right? But kills the ash. You go up in Michigan, emerald ash borer, Pennsylvania, I, I New can York, remember where it's
1: just like Ohio. They killed they killed these ash. And I look and I'm like, as we drive through, I'm like. This was 90% ash. Yeah. Where's the diversity?
2: Well, not only Southern where's the diversity. Pinesville. Yeah. Not only where's the diversity, where was the sunlight in the system? Yeah. Now we've got it. Now <laughs> now something had to die, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But you can't tell me that, that the death of those trees, although there was economic loss from the timber value, didn't bring... Additional value back to the landscape and the necessary additional value
1: in a different value in a different not in a timber
2: value but maybe in a habitat value right a diversity a biodiversity value beavers you start you start damming up massive tributaries how about let's just say restoring tributaries stop erosion increase
1: rush and sedge communities increase Willows, wetland, red
2: osier dogwoods, t- button tamaracks,
1: buttonbush, wetland species plants and trees and shrubs, amphibians, more sunlight to the to the fish,
2: riparian area, I mean, more c- more
1: insects. Go on,
2: better nesting on. for birds. I I was not. I'm not even kidding you. A week and a half ago, I was in central Mississippi. Landowner really appreciated him. He Why don't you just call this podcast, What's Wrong With Us? <laughs> really appreciate him because he's like, Matt, I, I've, I've got these uh, these beavers and they're coming in. A portion of this property um, was planted pines and they were consuming some of the pines um, or, or, you know, consuming the bark in and around and, and killing out the pines. And we're talking, you know, maybe at most two-acre section. And I'm like, number one. Cool. Why were there pines even planted here? Yep. I mean, we're ta- we were in an absolute bottomland feature. They were, had no rhyme or reason for those pines to be there. They said, "Well, I could plant them. It's dry enough now. Maybe I'll plant them." Yeah. They planted them. Now beavers are back, and I said, "Dude," which he's getting ready for harvest anyhow. Yeah. Regardless if he was or if he wasn't, I said, "Let him be." The rest of your property isn't conducive for the beavers to be able to inhibit as it's you know very high steep banks and, and whatnot. Like, they're going to be right here. They'll be pretty isolated, and I love the diversity. He goes, me too. And I was yep. like, man, that's a refreshing thought. Good on you, sir. Yep.
1: And you know those beavers aren't going to come into an area that doesn't have adequate food. Um, so there's something that's attracting them there. And then hopefully, because of their work, they're going to increase diversity. They're going to slow erosion.
2: Yep. And yay! I mean, wh- what are we doing this for? Well, like, here's another one. Guess what else was in that bottom? In that, as a, as an invasive species, in the bottom growing, Cerisa Japanese stiltgrass. Okay, so they're going to drown it out. They're going to drown out the cerisa. Yeah. I mean, they're excuse me, the, the, st- the still grass. They're going to yeah. drown it out, man. Yeah. They're going to kill that seed source right there. It will be underwater. Yeah. Good luck. Hallelujah. <laughs> Here comes Phragmites.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, man. But uh, there's just D- so many disease, things. pests, if we would... fires, flooding, it fires cr- flooding, it is a... It is a dr- direct correlation i think to signs of of very stressful environments we i, I know it, this is probably some of the first podcasts we ever did back in i think it was 16 17 17 we didn't start the podcast okay. till 17 17 we had that really really bad flood that year in april <coughs> and we we're talking about just all the mismanagement of southern Missouri from the the lack of glades, the, the the cedars and what they've done to the understory as well as those glades and water retention and infiltration. and We have all these massive flooding events. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. 15 inches of rain over a short amount of time is still going to flood. But was it going to be that bad? Probably not. If we had an ecosystem that would handle that fire. We 100%. About it the the idea of what we're
1: what we're doing on prairie hollow property the family farm is we're not going into this thinking we're going to slow slow erosion down because we bring in beavers into the bottoms. Right. We're going to slow erosion down and build up our water table because we're going to start on the ridge tops by creating plant communities that catch water and are a sponge effect to soak water in and on the side of our hills soak water in. And on our valley, soak water in, and then what water does run down is captured with beaver uh, yeah. in, ri- in restored riparian areas. Now
2: take that thought right back to what we talked about when we, were, when we were discussing erosion. We were talking about that guy who's sitting there, should I cross this creek or not? And we backed up, where'd that water come from? Well, at first yep. it probably fell on a top somewhere, right? Yeah. And rushed down. Perfect example of, I'm starting from the top down to the bottom. Yeah, I'm improving this. I've got the plant communities. Step one. Now I've got the I've got to produce the plant communities and graze appropriately in the bottoms. I've got that root structure. I've got water infiltration, and I'm slowly entering or allowing that water to enter into the actual stream bed itself at a slower rate. Then I'm ready for the beavers. Yeah, seeing
1: as believing. It's a process.
2: It's a process, but you can't. You can't begin that process unless you see first that there's a problem. Yeah. And the land is telling you. There's massive you, problems. <laughs> you listening right now. There's problems everywhere. Yeah. There's problems on our farm, your farm, you everybody's farm. What's that mean? It's like, you want to talk about problems. Well, <laughs> I got problems. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There there are issues. And, and again, we, I'm not being a Debbie Downer because. Yeah. I got we, 99 problems, but erosion ain't one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not saying this to be a Debbie Downer because uh, the solution is there, yeah, we already know what to do if if hunters do it. if hunters because that's what most of us are private landowners that which majority are large majority are hunters
1: if we devoted as much time to understanding and learning our farm and learning our history and learning our best management practice instead of trying to figure out how to kill that one mature buck that's living on your farm if we devoted that time that's spent on trying to kill that buck into learning our farm we wouldn't that that buck would be a, a little scratch on the surface because we'd have more deer we'd have bigger four deer more
2: that are just like him
1: yeah living on the farm more and spending more time in daylight hours on your farm yes. like ah, our our mindset here here's here's our last 20 years Let's just throw the last 20 years out and say, whew, that was a big waste of time. Let's start over. Start again.
2: Yeah. But imagine this. I'll just put this into perspective for you. You've got that one deer that you're just so focused on, right? He's big. Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to do everything I can to kill that deer this year, right? Yeah. What if you managed your property so good that you had three more like him on the place? So now you have four really nice deer on the place. Yeah. Hunting probably isn't that hard to find, at least have a few encounters every single year with at least those deer running across the property. I mean, you yeah. you just increase your chances. Now you've got four versus yeah. one. Yeah, going to be going to be pretty easy, and to they're be in su- daylight. It's going to be pretty easy to be successful. Yeah.
1: They live on the farm. They're <laughs> yeah. not just yeah. just nighttime pictures passing through. Yeah, so it starts in uh, the habitat, guys, fellas, ladies. Listen learn to, your farm. Learn the land. Listen to what it is saying to you because it's telling you I need help. I need help. You have to help me. You have to help manage me. And if you all, saw- all these days you're spending on me, driving around checking cameras, putting out mineral it's not doing anything
2: for me. <laughs> 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 All you're doing is just, you know what it is. It's the mineral holes. That, you know the deer just pounding yeah. their hooves, and they're just creating little craters in my land. You know, if yeah. you sign a contract on a piece of property, this is your responsibility to learn it. Learn, learn your land. Learn what it's saying, what it's screaming for attention, and address that problem. Address yeah. it. But real quick before we go, before we go. Virtual property evaluations. Yes. they
1: consultations through an online course, basically. Yes. yes. We spend an hour, two hours, three hours, whatever you want to sit down in a online Chat room, basically social distancing. Go, yeah, this is social distancing consultation, yeah. and it seems like I did a bunch of them when we first got uh, that was quarantine. Yeah, yeah, good timing for you. Were like my internet's too slow, <laughs> and I'm like,
2: okay. As I was traveling on the road still, who am I got? Who am I got tonight?
1: And um, uh, so. It's basically an online chat room yep. where we look at your maps, your photos of the property. Yep. Um, we can break down any photo you send us, whether it be timber, old field, or some of your buck pictures. And we just go over it and work on trying to improve your farm at a much more affordable rate yep. than our yep. general consultations that on-site require us to go yep. on-site visit, write a report.
2: And I think as we're getting into the, the hunting season side of things, um, you know, j- just those, those fine-tuning portions of property. you know, edge feathering, the right food plot techniques, um, the, the, the right proper stand set up and access is big. <laughs> it honestly could be setting up your hit
1: list of aging sure. all your bucks on the hoof. Because, we do a lot of that.
2: Yeah. Y- you let us know how we can help, but but through the virtual property evaluation We're there. We're there for you guys. So if you guys have any questions, you're looking for that kind of advice as you're getting into Buying a farm. Yeah, buying a farm, absolutely. Before you
1: buy the farm, it's probably worth your time and money to let us break it down and say this is what you're looking at.
2: Yep, absolutely. This is the work you have ahead of you. Yep, without a doubt. So please reach out. Let us know. You can go to the website, www.landandlegacy.tv, and we'd be happy to... um, you know, Respond to any emails you guys send through the consulting tab and um, send it in. Let us know how we can help. We appreciate you, ser- you guys certainly listening to this week's Land Legacy Podcast.